candlesticks always make a nice gift, and uh, maybe you can find out where she's registered, maybe a place setting or maybe a silverware pattern. Okay, let's get to it. Let's go. Hi there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am sportslogos.net minor league baseball correspondent Paul Caputo, broadcasting live, as always, from the Helmet Sunday Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. Today, we're going to talk about the Durham Bulls, possibly the most iconic brand in all of minor league baseball. We'll get into that, whether that's the case or not, but obviously one of the, the most well-recognized brands in, in the minors and one of the one of the brands that I think is having a really just still a ton of success with a lot of the fun alternate identities, but still like hearkening back to that, that classic look that everyone knows so well. It is Curved Brim Media Month on Baseball by Design. And so later on in this episode, I'll be speaking with Anna DiTomaso, who is a huge Tampa Bay Rays fan and by extension, a Durham Bulls fan. But first, I'm very pleased to be joined by the team's production designer, Paxton Rembus. Paxton, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I've been uh, reading and uh, digesting sportslogos.net for as long as I can remember. It's been a huge source of inspiration. So thanks for having me on. Oh, well, it's, it's my pleasure. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 I, you know, I still get, I get such a charge out of writing for sportslogos.net, such a fun resource. And I was a fan of the site long before I started writing for Chris there. So this is, this is obviously, uh, this podcast is an extension of that. And it builds on a lot of the sort of stories that I've told there and the, the connections I've made. And one of the very early articles that I wrote was about the, the Durham Bulls and they have, you know, they have an iconic brand that everyone ties to the Kevin Costner movie that everyone, obviously everyone knows, but the brand extends in particular, the name extends far back before that movie. So can you tell me where the nickname Durham Bulls comes from and, and what it means to the local community? Yeah. So the name comes from uh, essentially Durham in the early 1900s, late 1800s was a, uh, a huge part of the tobacco industry in America, and Durham in particular was home of the, uh, of the American Tobacco Company. And one of the flagship brands that the American Tobacco Company produced was Bull Durham Tobacco. Um, so the name really came from that. Um, it's funny, actually moving here, I'm not originally from North Carolina, from Ohio. Moving here, you know, you just kind of think, oh, Durham Bulls probably had a bunch of livestock in Durham. You know, maybe there were stockyards, maybe the name comes for that. Um, so then to learn that it came from a cigarette brand, um, you know, you, you don't immediately think of it. Um, but yeah, that's where that's where the name comes from. Durham Bulls originally started as the Durham Tobacconist in 1902. And then I believe in 1913 um, officially became the Durham Bulls. So I, I love that in Durham proper, if you drive around, you'll see these old ads like there's nothing better than like an old for, for graphic designers. And, and, you know, I know that that's your background as well. There's, there's nothing better to me than old advertisements painted on the side of brick buildings. And I know that bull Durham tobacco, there are some sort of classic, you know, historic ads for bull Durham tobacco on the sides of buildings in Durham. And, you know, when you know that backstory about the team, that is such a, such a cool connection to, you know, to see, to see those ads on the sides of buildings and to understand what that meant to Durham. I lived in Richmond for a little while, and obviously the tobacco industry is is big there. Do you think, you know, given today's sensibilities, do you think that the Durham Bulls would be as beloved as they are if if more people knew that backstory? Um, I don't I don't know if it's I don't know if it really has an effect because um, I think the whole 
bull um, mantras, so to speak, kind of became bigger than just the tobacco industry, you know, that was in Durham. Um, you know, Durham is referred to as the bull city. Um, so it's not just our team nickname per se, it's the city's name. And I think it's like, I don't know, I think the the connection there, it's, it's so long removed. Um, it's just kind of became its own thing, separate of, you know, where it first originated from. Sure. Well, so you mentioned that the the team, they were the they were the tobacconists for 1902. And, you know, that team went away for a little while. And then in 1913, the the bulls came back into existence. And then there was, you know, like a lot of teams in, with, you know, historic connections in cities, they were sort of here and there and here and there. They didn't really have the current brand that everyone knows from the movie that I'm wearing on my cap right now. The the big slab serif D with the bull coming through it, you know, totally iconic brand that everybody knows. They didn't really have that until 1980. The team had been gone for like nine years from 71 to 79. And, you know, they came back and that was when this look was was introduced. So while the team's been around forever or, you know, some version of the team's been around forever, this brand in particular has has been around since 1980. Obviously, 42 years, even though it's not the duration of this team, 42 years is a long time to have the same brand, especially in this you know minor league baseball environment right now of sort of constant change. Can you talk to uh, you know what it's like for a minor league team to have a classic identity that you really can't change? Like, I mean, there's a lot of there there are some nicknames that you can you know okay that one changed they, it was time for a rebrand. It's never going to be time for a rebrand for the Bulls, right? And so I apologize, this is a long question, but can you talk about the, like sort of the responsibility the team has to, to, to cultivate and be the keepers of this, this iconic historic brand? Yeah, it's uh it's definitely a big responsibility. Um, I know when they brought me on here in Durham, like that was like one of the first conversations, you know, you know, we pride ourselves on being, you know, one of the flagship brands of minor league baseball. And, you know, we've have, we have this iconic uh, look, iconic logo. Um, we don't, deviate from it you know um the d logo is first and foremost um so it's definitely a big responsibility but it's also just an awesome challenge to protect the brand and advance that iconic brand but also to innovate at the same time and do different things like other minor league baseball teams are doing without straying too far away from where from what we are at our core um which is that same d logo we've had since 1980. So in 1980, they the the Bulls were a a single A team in the Carolina League. One of the things about the movie Bull Durham that drives me crazy is that Nuke Lelouch gets called up to the majors straight from the single A Durham Bulls. Let's you know we'll just go suspension of disbelief on that one. But before the the Tampa Bay Rays came into existence, the the Bulls were a single A team. Obviously, through because of the popularity of the movie, the the, the popularity of the team, that the team had the opportunity to build a bigger stadium and become a AAA franchise. They're the only AAA franchise that the Tampa Bay Rays have have ever known, but the brand has has stayed the same. And so, the reason it was in the movie was because it was sort of this like prototypical grungy minor league experience, right? Like it was the, the, the down and dirty, like we're going to show you how grim being a minor league baseball player is. Now, when you go to a Dora Bowles game, it's this state-of-the-art facility. It's, I mean, one of the, my favorite ballparks in the minors that I've, I've been to, and I would go to it before I would go to a bunch of the major league ballparks that I've been to. So originally this brand was associated with, you know, this, this gritty down and dirty single A team. And now it's this, you know, 
iconic, you know, sort of most recognized and one of the best experiences in the minors for this state-of-the-art facility. Being a sort of classic older brand, though, like you, you, you referenced, okay, we've, we've got to stay true to this. It's not wacky in the least, right? Like it is, it is a classic logo. But you guys have had a sense of humor about the brand for a while. I have the, the t-shirt that has the lollygaggers on it, right? So obviously a big sea change here was the movie. So can you talk about what the brand was to the team before the movie and then how it is, you know, that since the movie, because it's obviously a major part of, of who you are and, and even what you do now as a franchise all these years later. So, yeah, I think the story you're kind of telling about how, you know, back when the movie came out, Durham was the prototypical gritty blue collar minor league baseball team. And now, you know, we play in the deep bap in downtown um, and, you know, we have one of the, you know, one of the most iconic ballparks in, in minor league baseball. I think that story is also the city of Durham itself. Um, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, Durham did not have the development, did not have the high-rise apartments and office buildings. It does now. So I think really the story of the Bulls is the story of Durham. Um, just the transformation downtown Durham has undergone basically since the ballpark came here in 1995. Um, I think, you know, the, the city and the team have always moved together um, in terms of just developing and evolving over time. So I think that's probably the, the coolest story is, you know, as the city has changed, so is the team, as the team has changed, so is the team, or so is the city. What role does the, does the movie play now in, in the team? I know that there were, you know, you had the racing characters. I know that you do Durham Bull Night uh, or Bull Durham Night at the ballpark. What is, what's the relationship that the team has to the movie, either formally or, 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 or informally? I think, I think informally, um, I think as we move further and further away from the movie, um, obviously that movie hits a different demographic of fans differently than it does other demographics of fans. Um, so I think we, we always pay tribute to the movie. We always, always pay homage to the movie. Every year we have Bull Durham Night, um, you know, Crash Davis's numbers retired um, at the ballpark. So like we will always pay tribute um, as we get further along from the movie, we have more and more fans that either haven't seen the movie or have never even heard of the movie, um, just with fans getting younger and younger. So um, I don't know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a delicate balance of, yes, that is a part of our history. We always put, always pay tribute, but we don't always bank on it per se. Like we don't want people to rely on knowing us just from the movie. So I think that's why we feel the, uh, we feel the obligation, you know, it's, it's to constantly innovate even though we're this classic, uh, you know, brand, um, we still want to innovate. We still want to keep up with the times. We still want to do what's new and what's great in minor league baseball. Sure. One of the holdovers I know from the movie is the hit bull win stake sign. Uh, that was actually, if I understand, if I remember the story correctly, it was built for the movie and it was at the old ballpark. And then you all brought it over to the new ballpark. And then there's been a couple of different iterations since then. Do I have that story right? Correct. Yeah, it was uh, it was an idea that came from the movie. They built it for the movie. It was in movie. And then after that, it's like, hey, this was really cool. Let's just let's just keep it. Um, let's bring it over to the new ballpark when the new ballpark was built in 95. Um, and yeah, since then, I think we're on our fourth bowl uh, since the 1995 season. It just got replaced uh, prior to the 2021 season, if I remember correctly. Um, every couple of years, it takes a 
it takes a battering from not only baseballs, but weather. Um, it's made out of plywood. It's hand painted by a guy in his garage um, just outside of Durham. Uh, so it's, it's very authentic. Um, it's not, you know, produced by some big manufacturer. It's, it's made on plywood, painted, painted with just your regular old paint. And, uh, and yeah, every couple of years, give her a, a quick, uh, quick makeover. Are there, do you still actually win a stake? Do the players actually win a stake if they hit it? Yeah. So this year we've had one player hit the bull thus far. Okay. Uh, last year we had one player as well. I think on average, it's about the bull gets hit once a year. Um, and the bull is sponsored by Angus Barn, which is a local steakhouse. And last year, funny enough, uh, Josh Lowe, who's one of the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, bigger prospects. He goes up to bat, hits a home run. It hits hit grass, wind salad. Uh, so I think with that, it's a, it's a lesser value gift card. He gets to Angus Barn. Oh, that's uh, funny. Next guy up to bat is Mike Brasso, who's now uh, with playing for uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, he goes up to the bat after Josh hits the bull, wins stake. We ended up both giving them gift cards to Angus Barn. They went and got dinner together, and it was a cool, like, young prospect and a uh, Major League Baseball veteran getting dinner together because yeah. of their shared accomplishment. That's great. I imagine that winning a stake meant a lot more when you were a single A franchise than the triple A franchise. You know, that stake dinner probably on the single A salary was probably a, a lot more prized. Well, so speaking of of players advancing to the majors, you've got the the Tampa Bay Rays as your parent club, the only triple A affiliate that the, the Rays have ever known. You've done a bunch of alternate identities as a team, and some of them relate to the movie. You guys do Bull Durham Night, and I mentioned you, you know played as the lollygaggers one night. This year, you guys are are playing as the the shower shoes, which uh, is a is a basically like a pair of flip flops with like some green fungus on it, like that one. Correct. <laughs> that, one, that was pretty gross. Totally fun, but pretty gross. But the uh, one of the alternate identities that was really well received was a version of the Durham Bulls D with the old gradient blend Tampa Bay Devil Rays logo with the Devil Ray coming through the the D. That got an enormous reaction on social media. People seem to really, really like that one. And so you guys have had a lot of success with alternate identities. But can you talk about the reaction to that one? Like, what was it about that old Devil Rays logo that people liked seeing intertwined with the the Bulls logo? I think think it's just the trend of throwback is in. Um, It's the whole reason why we went back to, you know, the Bull Durham home and aways for our our current home and away uniform. We went back to the the V-neck with the the old school Bulls logo on the chest. Um, And I think it was with that line of thinking um, that we wanted to, you know, pay homage to our 25 seasons with the – Tampa Bay Rays, then Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Um, and got to give all credit to uh, a freelance designer that we work with, Brian Bagley. Um, he designed that logo. He's also done the Bull Sharks logo. Um, and he's the creator of our Bull City alternate logo. So really talented designer. He literally came to us during the off season. We didn't even like ask him to create it. He came to us. It was like, hey, you guys are coming up on 25 seasons. Like, here's this idea. Uh, that I have for it. and we're I mean it took one look at it and we're like yeah we like we have to do that um, so yeah we we, we kind of had a, a sneaking suspicion that it would be big but definitely not to the not to the level that it that it reached you mentioned the the Bull City logo and that's been that's been really fun that was 2018 I think when that was first unveiled 
that's that's an alternate logo and it's got the the sort of snorting bowl and the word city in it and then some you know some some great logo sets that that go with it so that the bull city logo is definitely a, a fun one you guys are always ready to sort of jump in and and do you know references to current things going on in in popular culture or in in your city i remember the uh, the bunch of jerks night that <laughs> was a, an homage to the carolina hurricanes being called a bunch of jerks there was a Canadian hockey commentator who called the Carolina Hurricanes a bunch of jerks. And so you all did bunch of jerks night. You did Durham tobacconists night, which was a, basically an identity that needed to be conjured out of thin air because there was no real reference to what that team looked like, you know, as, as a team. One of the ones that I know that you worked on was the Stranger Things night. And now, so season four of Stranger Things is out and that's back in the, the sort of popular consciousness. Can you talk about the decision to do a Stranger Things night? And then the you had the whole sort of logo set that referenced the the prototypical outfit that Dustin was wearing, including that like tritone, you know, expo style cap that he had with the white front and the red beak and the blue back. So can you tell me about like the work that you did on the on the Stranger Things night? Yeah, so I wasn't here in 2018 when we first did Stranger Things Night, um, and off the top of my head, I can't remember if that was the uh, the waffle theme jersey or the Dustin theme jersey. I forget which one came first, but 2018 was either the Dustin or the uh, 11 waffle theme jersey, and then 2019 was the other one. Um, and then 2021, we actually had this idea for 2020 after season three of Stranger Things came out. Um, but I was probably within my first two or three months of working at the Bulls was like, they came to me and it was like, we need a Stranger Things jersey for, you know, this coming season. Um, so, yeah, I rewatched Stranger Things season three, uh, saw the Starcourt Mall. It was a big part of season three. And I was like, that's it. I mean, we got to we got to spoof the Starcourt Mall. It's a great colors with all the neon colors used in all the scenes at the Starcourt Mall. So just playing on that really cool color scheme. So that was our 2021 Stranger Things uh, uniform. Well, before I, before I let you go here, I just, I have one question that I wanted to ask you because it's, it's, it's kind of funny for me. I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I, you know, I'm much more of a baseball guy than a football guy, but every once in a while I'll wear this hat that I'm wearing around right now, the Durham Bulls cap. And people will always assume they'll come up to me and start talking to me about the Denver Broncos because they assume that I'm wearing a Denver Broncos cap. And it takes them a minute to realize like, like it's not a Denver Broncos cap. Even uh, the 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 Bulls Twitter put out a, a tweet once where it had like the Broncos logo and the Bulls logo, and it had like the greater than sign pointing towards the 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 Bulls logo. Does that ever come up with you know with you guys the fact that the Broncos logo and the Bulls logo sort of look similar? And do you guys ever have, uh, have any fun with that? Uh, it's definitely happened to me personally before, uh, especially at an airport or flying when I'm away from Durham. Uh, I'll get someone with a hit me with a go Broncos and, you know, politely correct them. It's like, actually it's a Durham Bulls. Um, but yeah, we definitely like to have fun with it. I think every time the Broncos have like announced like a throwback Jersey, so to speak, we always put out this graphic that just shows the differences, but no, it's, it's, it's fun. It gives us, uh, it gives us material to play with, to have fun on social media, to poke, you know, playful fun at the Denver Broncos and to poke fun at ourselves as well. I have worn this Bulls cap to a to a Broncos game, and uh, you know, no one said anything to me, but I thought I was probably blending in. And even the blue and the orange, right, like sort of similar colors. So, Paxton, thank you so much. This is this has been a lot of fun. Obviously, such an iconic franchise, and you know, it's in in skilled hands. Obviously, with you, I know that the Bulls 
it's really easy to find the bulls online. Where can people find you on online or on social media? Uh, you can just find me on Twitter at Paxton Rembus. Um, I like to share, you know, some of the work we're doing at the bulls there, but yeah, be on the lookout. We got a lot more projects, uh, that we haven't released for this summer, some uniforms. Um, so be on the lookout. We got some really cool stuff. We're, uh, we're cooking up here in Durham. Awesome. Well, we will definitely be on the lookout for all of that. And, and thanks again. And, uh, now we're going to go talk to Anna DiTomaso, noted podcaster and Bulls fan. Welcome back, everyone. As you know, this is week two of Curve Brim Media Month on Baseball by Design, where I'm featuring my fellow content creators on the Curve Brim Media Network, which is one of my favorite things that I'm doing right now is just being part of this awesome collaborative of people who are putting out really like positive, fun, minor league baseball, baseball at large energy into the world right now and, and focusing on people who are doing really cool things in minor league baseball and well, not just minor league baseball, but baseball at large. Anna DiTomaso is the host of the baseball bucket list podcast and the website baseball bucket list. So Anna, hi, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Paul. I'm excited to, to join and be week two of Curb Brim Media Month. It is Curb Brim Media Month here mm-hmm. and I'm having so much fun. So we, we actually got to meet in person. So I feel like so much better now having these conversations with with folks from from Curve Brim Media. We got to meet in Minnesota at the Twin Cities Twin Billing, two games in one day. I've obviously talked about that a bunch already, but that, how much fun was that to like to see two games in a day at two different ballparks? Oh, it was the best day. It really was just the best day. What a great time surrounded by great people, great weather and just a phenomenal experience. It couldn't have gone better, really. It really like the weather was perfect. Like we were expecting thunderstorms and like the weather was perfect. I ended up having two helmet Sundays in the same day. I was a little strung out on sugar by the end of the day. I'll be honest <laughs> about that. Cause I, there were some souvenir sodas. There were some souvenir beers. There were some souvenir ice cream helmets, as you know. And so, yeah, I was a little strung out on sugar by the time the day was over. So anyway, part of Curb Media Month is what I want to do is I want to highlight teams that are important to members of the network. You are a Tampa Bay Rays fan a Tampa Bay Devil Rays fan from back in the day, originally from the Tampa Bay area. Now you live in Texas, but you're still a Rays fan. So I know that the only AAA affiliate the Rays have ever had is the Durham Bulls. So by extension, you're a Durham Bulls fan, but you have more of a connection to that team than than just the the fact that they're the Rays AAA affiliate. Yeah, that's right. I have to correct you. I'm not originally from the Tampa Bay area. I did a bad job. No, it's it's confusing because I talk as if I am, but my we moved there right before I started high school. So that's how that's when we we left the area that I'm in now, mm-hmm. went to Florida, and then I came back here years later. So, so during your your formative years as a baseball fan, you became a Rays fan. You didn't you didn't yeah, take the, exactly. the, your childhood in Texas with you to Florida. You 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 became a Rays fan while you were in Florida. That's right. Yeah. My dad had picked up season tickets and it was just, you know, too many good memories with him at, at the trop to, to walk away from that. Now. I know that you have an affinity for the trop and I want to tell you how much I respect that. Like, I love, I love you, this, this hill that you're willing to die on here. Cause I know that it gets picked on a lot, including by me and uh, in the interest of positivity, I will not, but you know, <laughs> I, I love that, that this nostalgia that you have for the trop has, has created this really, you know, strong affinity that you have for it. And I, I respect that immensely. So I, I appreciate that from you as a, as a Rays fan, but I know that you have more of a connection to, to the bulls than just the fact that they're the Rays AAA affiliate. So what's your connection to the, to the Durham bulls? 
Yeah, I went to college at a small school just north of Raleigh and the Durham area. So we're probably about 45 minutes away from the the DBAP, as they call it there. And that school was Campbell University, which is, I mean, it's, you know, think 2,600 undergrads in terms of size. I ended up there because I played soccer and um, that was the reason they, they brought me there. And so it was just kind of luck that, you know, the, I would be leaving the Rays. I wouldn't be able to, to attend the home games anymore, but lo and behold, there were the, the Durham Bulls and that was just a stroke of luck and, and it definitely did not hurt my decision-making process. Yeah, for sure. So, so you got to attend some Bulls games. Obviously, you got to see the AAA players for your major league club. But you know, the the great thing about minor league baseball is that these teams have their own identities. They're very specific about uh, you know the, the the really good ones do a great job of establishing their own identities. So, for a team that has been you know associated with the Rays for so long, there's probably a lot of people who don't even know that, right? Like, there's probably a lot of people who just think of the Bulls as the Bulls. Uh, without, you know, tying them to to Tampa Bay. So what is it about the Bulls as a franchise, independent of the fact that they're a Rays affiliate that that drew you to that team? That's a good question. I think the biggest component of it is one of the reasons I love minor league baseball so much is it's such a microcosm of the community that 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 a team is embedded in, right? And of course, no major league franchise has ever been in either of the Carolinas. So you have a ton of baseball fans in North Carolina. I mean, you have to just look at the the number of teams they have. So many. But yeah, the Bulls have really stepped up and they've taken that place within the community of doing all of these things that maybe you see major league clubs do elsewhere, you know, fundraising and collecting food for the homeless shelter and all of those sorts of things that it really makes the club special even outside of the fact that they're associated with my favorite team. So I see that you actually have the, the cap hanging behind you. Do you, do you shift those hats on the wall there? Do you shift them according to the conversations you're going to have, or is that Doran Bowles hat always front and center there during your, your zoom meetings? Yeah, that one's always in the shot. And um, I, the only time they get changed around is when I pick up a new one and then I have to, you know, get some design help from my wife to kind of like color block them better. Cause <laughs> you know, I'll often get feedback. Oh no, no. Too many Navy hats side by side. We got to break it up somehow. So that's oh, when they shift. So the, the bulls logo itself, the slab serif D with the bull coming through it has become pretty iconic in, in minor league baseball. Are there, what are the parts of the brand that, that sort of draw you to the, to the bulls? I think we're kind of in this stage where many teams are going through rebrands and they're, they're coming up with these fun new identities and an effort to kind of maybe connect with the city's history a bit more or, you know, sell more merchandise, but you know, you're right. Like the bulls have been the bulls with this iconic logo for, for a long, long time. And I think that that just goes to show that it's, it's so well done. The logo is sort of classic. It's not, minor league baseball wacky right but they do have this connection to this funny movie that the funny thing about the movie is it's rated r so they can't like play it at the at the ballpark right like they can't do like family Doran bowls night and then come out and here's nuke lelouch in the locker room right like so but there are sort of a lot of sort of wacky parts of that movie that they can draw on so while it's a sort of classic identity and it's you know not wacky in the least they do play on the wackiness of the movie's 
I'm, you know, a couple of years ago, they went as the lollygaggers for a night. I actually have a lollygaggers t-shirt and I've had people ask me like, is there really a team called the lollygaggers? And then I'm like, okay, now we got to sit down and talk about the movie Bull Durham. This year, they've done a, a an alternate brand based on the, the fungus on the flip-flops. You can't have fungus on your flip-flops. You know, when you get to the show, you can have fungus on your flip-flops. I'm getting that quote wrong. I apologize. But so the team does have fun. Are there... Are there alternate brands that the team has done that have particularly appealed to you? I mean, I think the obvious one is the Cervezas. You know, I love that. I, I have this lime green shirt with the Cervezas logo. You know, he's like a little beer can swinging a bat. And it that shirt, it serves so many purposes. Obviously, it's a very appropriate for Cinco de Mayo, but also... On St. Patrick's Day, I wear it because it is my green beer shirt. So it's green and it's beer. That's, That's right. kind of perfect. <laughs> the one that they did when they combined, and this one, people went nuts for this one, right? When they combined the Durham Bulls D with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays logo with the actual, you know, Ray itself swimming through the letter D. And then they did the whole like color scheme from the, the Devil Rays with the gradient blends and all, right? Like the full, they gave it the full like 90s treatment. That logo went absolutely crazy. Was that one that appealed to you as a, as a, as a race fan? Yeah, of course. There's a connection between the two clubs and it was, it was great. I, the issue is they never sold it as an adjustable, which is all I can wear. So, you know, I, I didn't get my hands on it, unfortunately. And it went like hotcakes too. Like they were yeah, gone in yeah, like a minute. So I did want to ask you about the movie. Do you have like favorite mo moments in that movie? Yeah, I think obviously you have the classic like movie montage and you've, it's set to center field, which is, I mean, you know, if, if baseball were a song, there, there you have it. Absolutely. But my favorite scene in the whole movie is the, the mound visit, the mound meeting where, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, I'm freaking out. My dad's there. Don't look, don't look. And then the camera cuts to... Um, the dad in the stands with one of those like, you know, shoulder 25 pound news cameras, essentially. Right. And we need a live chicken to lift the hex and all of that stuff. I mean, it was just hilarious. You know, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a comedy set to baseball. And I just, that, I love that scene. And then I learned rewatching it with fresh eyes and ears, you know, the manager comes out of the dugout and is like, what's going on here? And right before he walks away, he says, okay, let's get two and walks back to the dugout. And so I texted Jim and I was like, is that where you got the name for your show? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> sure enough. I love that movie. And so that's why we're let's get two. So that's funny. You're speaking about, of course, James Christopher, who is the host yes. of the let's get two show, who is going to be featured on next week's episode of baseball by design about the Corpus Christi hooks because he's a big Astros fan and they're in Texas. And so this is, you know, so, so we'll talk to Jim uh, next week about, uh, about the let's get to show your show is the baseball bucket list. And I've said this previously, I said this to Ed Rivera of the dad hat Chronicles last week, you and Ed, the podcast that you guys were doing inspired me to, to create this one, right? Like listening to you guys do your podcast. I was just like, that sounds like, you know, it's such an amazing passion project. And so, you know, and it was, you guys executed it so well. And I thought, gosh, this is going to be fun to, to try and see if I can't, you know, achieve something close to the standard that you guys are setting. Can you tell everyone about the baseball bucket list show and what it is, you know, why you started it and sort of what it is that you, you know, like to do with it every week? Yeah. So 
first of all, thank you for saying that. That's it's coming from you, incredibly high praise. But basically the show is focused on everything that's good about baseball. You know, baseball can break your heart sometimes. Your team can really just frustrate the dickens out of you. But what I like to do is talk to people about the components about going to games and getting invested in baseball that are independent of whether or not your team wins or loses that day. So each week I bring on a different fan and I ask them the same, uh, a handful of the same questions each week. Um, primarily, where did you become a fan of the game? And, and you get these great stories about either specific instances of I walked in and my grandma was watching the world series. And so I sat down and from that day forward, I've been a, a Detroit Tigers fan uh -huh. or, you know, stories like that. And then I ask them questions about what's the best baseball memory. And what we find is that you get these great recountings of historic baseball moments tied together with, and then I looked at my brother and we hugged because finally they had done it or, you know, things like that, that just really connect us to the game, the emotional draw of it. And then the last question is always what's left on the baseball bucket list. And that has given me uh, a very long list of too many things to try to get out there and go do. Well, this is the problem with your podcast. There's two problems, Anna, with your podcast that I have. And I so hope you're open to some constructive criticism here is, first of all, you keep making me cry at work, right? Like some of these stories that people share are like total tear jerkers. And then, of course, the other one is that I'm spending way too much money on ideas that I get from listening to to your show. So that is, uh, I don't know how you fix that, Anna, but I keep crying and spending money every time I listen to your show. So I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go put that on the Apple review here. <laughs> I keep crying. <laughs> One just star. what I was after. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Anna, I actually, I do have uh, a couple questions for you. You know, this is, uh, if this is fair to do, but uh, how did you become a baseball fan? I grew up here just outside of Dallas as a rabid Texas Rangers fan. And, you know, this was the heyday of the, the 90s Rangers where you have Rafi and Pudge and Juan Gonzalez and Rusty Greer and all of those guys that, I mean, the team was so good, but never did anything with it. So, and then, you know, as I got older, I kind of got away from the game just because I was so invested in, in becoming a better soccer player to go, to go play in school. And when my dad moved the family to Florida and picked up that season ticket package, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot again. And man, like instantaneously being back at the ballpark, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the excitement, it just, it was, that's really what solidified it for me. And, you know, that's several decades ago now and just uh, never left me. So I'm trying, you know, in case it's not evident here to turn your own questions around on you, but what, I'm going to have a sort of a twist on, on, on one of them here, obviously listening to everyone else's baseball bucket lists, you must, as you just referenced, have a long list of items yourself. So before I ask you what's left on your baseball bucket list, I will ask you, what have you checked off that you hear from people most often that is on their baseball bucket list? Yeah, that's a great one. I mean, I think one of them is what we just did and doing the double header. You know, I keep hearing um, Adam Hazel talks about how he goes to frequently like a San Jose Giants game and a, a San Francisco or an Oakland athletics game in the same day. And before that, you know, Craig, who we met out in Minnesota, he does mm -hmm. 
the same thing. And I was just like, that sounds like the best day. It sounds so fun. And um, I was glad there was a group of us doing it because I don't know that I could corral my, my friends who are not major baseball fans to invest an entire day in it. But that was, that was great. And, and doing the juxtaposition of the major league game followed by the minor league game, it really just kind of highlighted the differences. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny, you know, I spent, before I really got into minor league baseball, it, it never occurred to me, right? Like, cause I was on the East coast, I was in school in Virginia and I thought about like, can I do like an Orioles game and a Phillies game on the same day? Right. But I, it never occurred to me, can I do a Norfolk tides and a Baltimore Orioles on the same day? Or could, you know, you know, uh, even the Richmond Braves, right? Could I do an Orioles and a Richmond Braves? But I, I think you're right that doing a major league and a minor league on the same day was really sort of part of, you know, what what made that particularly fun. What else? So, so all right. So the 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 Twin City Twin Billing that was a a bucket list item that that you've checked off. What what else have you heard on people's bucket lists that you're like, oh, I've done that? Playoff game. That's one that I hear mm-hmm. a lot. Playoff game, World Series game. Mm-hmm. You know, those those are both things that I've done. They yeah. were. I mean, they're, they're cool, but yeah. honestly speaking, they're not, I've heard some that are so much like they're better ideas. Right. And yeah. so like the, uh, the midnight sun game I want to do in Alaska. And yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, that's high up there. And then, you know, kind of like you said recently, I mean, I'm coming up on a year of doing this show mm-hmm. and going into it, I was not paying that much attention to the minor league community just because, you know, I'm a Rays fan and mm-hmm. we have the Rough Riders here, but that's, you know, I'm not in North Carolina anymore. I can't just hop, skip and jump to Holy six smokes. different games in a day. Yeah. <laughs> so, but listening to, to people tell stories about their adventures at the minor league ballparks really got me focused on trying to get to more of those. And so since I've started the show, we've, we've kind of expanded gone up to Oklahoma city and, and done more of the Texas parks and just trying to, to do more of that because it's so much more fun to me now that I understand it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's an amazing, I mean, minor league baseball was is such a revelation for me. Right. Like, and, yeah. and even like that baseball Palooza trip that I started doing with my friends, right. Like that, that's a, that's a highlight of my year every single year. And, and so now I think though, I want to see if we can't do five games in four days, see if we can't do the, the day night doubleheader in on one of our days somehow. Okay. So now the question, of course, the, the one that, that I always wait for on, on your list is what's, you know, what's left on your baseball bucket list. Yeah. I mean, the number one item is still to throw a first pitch at a major league ball game, a major league game. Okay. Yeah. Preferably the Rays, but you know, I'm not going to be terribly picky. So (laughs) uh, that's up there. And then another thing that I think would be really cool to do would just be to sponsor some kind of minor league team around like my immediate community Mm. and, and have them, you know, I don't know if we could call the team, the bucket heads, but (laughs) you know, slap some logos on their jerseys and, and things like that, I think would just be really, really cool. Absolutely. Mine, my, that I, and I get this all the time from listening to your podcast too. And every time, every time it comes up, I just think, yeah, I got to find a way to make this happen is the, the international baseball, seeing, Mm -hmm. seeing baseball. The closest I've come to that is I saw a Caribbean series game in Puerto Rico, but you know, to, to get to the Dominican for winter league ball to get even like in Australia, but, but mostly like, you know, 
the one that keeps coming up on my list is is Japan. And you had that that podcast episode with Shane from Japan Ball, right? Like that was, you know, that was a great one. And that one really piqued my interest of like, I gotta get to, I gotta get to Japan or South Korea and see see baseball overseas. So this is money that you are making me spend still, Anna. So <laughs> <laughs> in addition to the podcast, of course, you have this fantastic website that is so much fun for tracking where you have gone to. Well, that's that's the main thing I use it for is tracking where you've seen baseball games, but you can have your own. You can maintain a bucket list, basically, like maintain your bucket list and you can sign up for an account. So can you tell folks sort of what it is uh, you know, that you do with your baseball bucket list website? Yeah, baseballbucketlist.com is online community for baseball fans and it's kind of this hub of you know where you can collect all of your baseball memories you can as paul said pin ballpark visits on a map you can create a bucket list and check items off and it'll kind of tally you know your 20 percent of you're at a 20 percent completion rate for your bucket list and it's just a way i thought all these great people, they are doing things that I have no idea what they are. I, I haven't heard of them, you know, but then I have a conversation with them and I just think that's great. That's amazing. Any baseball fan would die to do that. And so now we have a space where we can talk about that and, you know, be ready to spend some money because you're right. You know, you pick up all these new things to go do and places to go visit. And it's just, it's a really cool space full of great people who, who really, I say, get what the game of baseball is about. Well, that's one of my favorite things about having sort of gotten involved on sort of the minor league baseball Twitter community and doing this podcast, like just the people I've met have just been, it's been so, so much fun and so great. The problem with my bucket list is that that percentage of completion is going down rather than up because for everything that I do, I add like three more things that, you know, that I want to do. So I guess, I guess that's not a bad thing. It just means that I need to live for a long time, basically. So <laughs> yeah, mine does the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Anna, this has been super fun. It's always, you know, especially now that we've gotten to hang out at a couple of ball games together with part of the, the Curve Brim Media team, we've shared a helmet Sunday, you know, that's, that's a bonding moment right there. So. <laughs> absolutely absolutely um, so but thanks for coming on and, and talking a little bit about the bulls and about the the baseball bucket list podcast and and the website it's so much fun it's been so great to get to know you uh just over the last few months or a year and so yeah everyone go follow baseball bucket list you're on twitter at baseball bucket which is very close to eric leach the general manager of the bowling green hot rods he is baseball bucket that. seven yeah you yeah, guys are very close to one it. another. Um, so Anna, thanks very much. And yeah, we'll we'll catch you on the, the Baseball Bucket List podcast. Everyone go listen. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Hang on. It's time for another Marvel Comic Universe style post-credit sequence. Surprise. I'm here with a third guest on the podcast. Today, I am super thrilled to be broadcasting, not from the Helmet Sunday Hall of Fame in Fort Collins, Colorado, as usual, but from the Helmet Sunday Hall of Fame satellite office in Ocean City, New Jersey, specifically at my brother's shore house. The movie Bull Dorm was released in June of 1988. Just weeks later, three superstar Duke Blue Devils would enroll at Duke University, Christian Leitner, Brian Davis, and my brother, David Caputo. <laughs> who between the three of them, they have won uh, Olympic gold medal. So congratulations <laughs> yes, on that. Yes. Right. <laughs> so 
you you enrolled at Duke in Durham weeks after the movie Bull Durham was released. You all, you and your friends, actually attended Durham Bulls games at the Durham Athletic Park, which precedes the beautiful facility they have now, Durham Bulls Athletic Park. Well, first of all, Dave, thanks for being here. Thank, thanks for having me, Paul. First of all, I thought we were here to talk about Duke basketball. We are here to talk about Duke basketball a little bit. Okay. That part may get edited out right. uh, because I don't want to lose too many viewers okay. on this. All right. Universally beloved Duke basketball. Yes. Yeah, everybody, absolutely. Everybody loves us. Everyone loves you as much as they love Christian Leitner, which is why I'm thrilled to have you here on the podcast for the first time. You're the first family member to be on the podcast. Wow. How yeah. about that? Yeah, I know, right? Also your favorite family member. You're... So I guess that would that would make sense. That's true. But that's because you have this shore house that we're sitting in right now in Ocean City, New Jersey, which yeah. is great. Yeah, we should settle up soon, by the way. <laughs> for, for 15 years of us using the shore house for free. <laughs> All right. So the reason that I'm talking to you right now, obviously, is because you attended back in the days pre-Durham Bulls Athletic Park. You attended games. You attended Durham Bulls games in Durham at this stadium whose the sole reason it was chosen for this movie is that it sort of embodied the crappy, gritty Carolina League baseball experience. So can you talk about just first sort of what was the fan experience like? What was it like? to go to a, a Durham Bulls game at the old Durham Athletic Park? So admittedly, I think if I knew that uh, 25, 30 years later, I might be interviewed on a podcast about that experience, I might have taken more careful notes. <laughs> uh, in general, my the, the first memory is that when we would go to Durham Bulls games, uh, we would try to complete the beer and inning challenge. All right. Which which did uh, which did impact uh, our fan experience and perhaps the fan experience of people <laughs> around us. Hopefully not too negatively. Uh, but yeah, I basically remember it as a crappy minor league park that was still full of its its local charm. And they were some pretty good teams back then. They were a Class A Braves affiliate, so we got to see some pretty good major leaguers come through. We saw Brian Klesko, and I was just looking at a list of a, of a couple. I remember Eddie Perez. I had forgotten that Javi Lopez was also there when I was there. But basically, it was just a lot of fun and something for uh, some some knucklehead college kids to do on a on a on a on a weeknight uh, when there wasn't much else to do. So this is it's one of the classic brands. They became the AAA affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays back in the day. And this was before, I think, the heyday of minor league baseball, when, you know, you've got these, you've got these crazy fan experiences between innings, you know, you've, and you've got right now, the ballpark they play in is beautiful, right? The ballpark that they play in right now is one of my favorites where I've seen a game. And the reason they're such a successful franchise in large part is because of this, this movie. They didn't become a AAA affiliate until 1997. You graduated from Duke in 1992. You and Christian Leitner went to went to the final four and won two championships we did. Yes, uh, we did. all four years yeah. that, that you were there. We were both there in Philadelphia when the winning shot was, was hit against Kentucky. So he and Christian Leitner and I have that in common as well. We were both <laughs> there at the spectrum. Is that the greatest college basketball game ever played? No question. Absolutely. Without any, uh, there are some worthy challengers, but I think objectively that is the greatest college basketball game ever played. And I'm glad now that this podcast has finally turned to the Duke basketball. Because <laughs> I thought it might, because I have a lot more to say about that fan experience. But so, and well, and I visited you at Duke and yeah. went to a game. I went to a, uh, they, they were playing Georgia Tech, the yeah. old Dennis Scott Georgia yeah. Tech teams. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my. Kenny Anderson, Brian Oliver. That was, a, that was a great game. That was, holy smokes. That was, that was a lot of fun. However, we're here to talk about 
the Durham Bulls, yes. that you had a cap from the Durham Bulls that okay. I remember even before I got into minor league baseball, I remember being like really jealous of this cap because I thought that's a really, that's a really cool thing to have a Durham Bulls cap, right? Just like the movie. When you were there right after the movie was released, was the fact that the movie highlighted the Durham Bulls and sort of promoted them as this, you know, crappy minor league baseball experience. Did, did that matter in the Durham community? Like, did people talk yeah, about that? It did. Yeah, it was definitely sort of a trendy kind of cool thing to do. Uh, I mean, I think that so obviously the capacity of this, the stadium was, was, was pretty small, um, yeah. but it, yeah, for sure. It was, it was a, it was a, it was a cool thing for the Durham Bulls. It was cool. It was a cool thing for the city of Durham to have that uh, movie been uh, made right, right uh, at that time. And it definitely contributed to the, to the experience. What I don't really remember, I mean, it's funny, I, I put this question out to my college friends to see what they remember about going to those games. And they also remember the beer, the beer and ending challenge. <laughs> uh, the most memorable actual event that they recall occurring at what they called the DAP back then, what was not actually a baseball game at all, but rather a, a, a boxing match involving James Bonecrusher Smith, which was called the scrap at the DAP. Okay. Um, but but in terms of, I mean, it was a hot thing to, to do to, to go to those games. And it was, it was definitely cool for the city to have been featured in the movie in the way that it was. Yeah. All right. One other question. You're a Phillies fan. Yes. I'm a Phillies fan. Yes. I constantly harp on the fact that minor league baseball teams should have unique identities. I would never wear a Mississippi Braves hat. I would never wear a Springfield Cardinals hat, right? Because it looks too much like teams that I dislike and I think you dislike as well. You bought a Durham Bulls hat, even though they were a an Atlanta Braves affiliate. Obviously, you dislike the Braves as much as I do. Did that? Did it even factor into your mind that you were buying a hat that represented an affiliate of a team that you root against? No, I think. Well, first of all, I think probably in general, you you hold uh, your views are more strongly held in this regard <laughs> on that subject. But no, they were because it was because of my own personal connection to Durham and having gone to the games and, and being a big baseball fan and because of the movie and because the it was not the Braves, but rather the Bulls. It never once crossed my mind that I, I was wearing the hat of a team that was associated with with the uh, with with the Braves. Yeah. Now, you are a very successful lawyer in Philadelphia. That is definitely true. Yes. Extremely successful lawyer <laughs> in Philadelphia. What can we do to get a constitutional amendment to prevent teams from being named for their uh, their parent clubs? Well, that that's it's it's a complicated answer, um, and uh, I think probably most of your listeners would not find it a very interesting answer. So, <laughs> can we sue let's, somebody? Let's just say it could happen, but it's going to be difficult. Can we sue the Rome Braves? You can. So you can sue anybody for anything. Would you win the suit? Totally different question. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, thanks you very much. Uh, it's been a thrill to have you on the podcast. It has been a thrill to be here. And uh, if, if, if you want to invite me back anytime to talk about Duke basketball again, I'm happy to, happy to do Very it. good. Well, we'll get a Carolina Mudcats episode together. <laughs> did you go to a Carolina Mudcats game? I did not. Never did? Okay. No. Do you know where, the old, where that Bulls cap is? Uh, I, I do actually. It's sitting in the in my on the shelf in my house. Actually, two shelves with with caps, and it is sitting uh, on one of those two shelves. Yes. I've not worn it in, in a long time, but I, but I won't throw it out. Of course not. That's fantastic. Well, I may have to get a picture of that cap and post it on Twitter when this episode goes up. Dave, good. thanks very much. Thank you for having me.